Welcome to this episode of Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. On this episode, I have two guests, W. Maxwell Prince, the writer, and Martin Marazzo, the artist, on Ice Cream Man, being published by Image Comics, which goes on sale next Wednesday, January 17th. If you like well-written and illustrated horror comics, and especially if you like shows such as The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits, this is the book for you. Ice Cream Man will be a series of stories linked by a mysterious character on Ice Cream Man, yet each issue will be a standalone horror story. And we will talk about the book Ice Cream Man, but this is Creator Talks, and I do want to know about my creators and about their creative process. So, first and foremost, I ask the creators about their location. Martin lives in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and Will lives in Brooklyn. We'll talk about their educational background and some of the techniques they use to hone their skills today. And of course, how they like to rest and relax, their island book and beverage of choice. And I'll be adding a few more of those questions in 2018 on future episodes, so stay tuned. And if you haven't already, after listening to this episode, please rate on iTunes. It goes a long way to helping the show. And subscribe, it's free. Okay, with the business out of the way, let's join W. Maxwell Prince and Martin Marazzo to discuss Ice Cream Man and more. Here now on Creator Talks. Martin, welcome to Creator Talks. Thanks for Thank having you. me. Now, before we get started talking about your latest work, Ice Cream Man, I'd like to ask all my guests who are in far-off locale, exotic places, that includes Brooklyn, you know, from time to time I'd like to know a bit more about you and about where you are, and why where you are should be on my bucket list of places to go visit at some point. So, Martin, let's start with you. You're in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Yes, yes, I'm in Buenos Aires. I've never been there, but my father-in-law has been there. But okay. I, I haven't. So, so tell me, what do you love about it? Why should I go there? And what <laughs> must I see when I go there? Uh, it's a great place, you know. It's a Latin American city, but with more of a European flavor, maybe. And uh, it's a great city, you know. People here are, are really great. Uh, um, people is warm, let's say. When someone from the U.S. usually comes here, they tend to come back, you know after the first trip, because uh, people here is really warm and, and really um, great host. And you have you have uh, great wine here, you know? Oh, oh, well, yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's, a, that's a reason <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, great wine and great food, too. Now, Will, you're in Brooklyn. So um, what are some of the hidden gems in Brooklyn that I should check out, places that you like to go? I've been in the New York City area for, I guess, about 10 years now. My wife and I used to live in Manhattan on the Upper West Side, on the Upper East Side, and then we moved to Brooklyn like maybe four years ago. And we live in the neighborhood of Brooklyn. It's kind of a Park Slope, Windsor Terrace. I love where we live. It's a really simultaneously quintessentially Brooklyn and also uh, very separate uh, from Brooklyn. It's very residential. It's very quiet. In terms of places to go, I'm right by Prospect Park. Um, I try to go to the park as often as possible. It's beautiful in some ways, not always, but in some ways it's uh, more beautiful than Central Park. It's a lot more rewarding of an experience to walk around Prospect Park than it is Central Park. So yeah, I, I always 
try to take people there uh, when they're visiting from out of town. So the reason why you moved there, was it for more of the tranquility, still being in New York, but yet someplace a little more quiet, a little more laid back? We had a daughter last year. A couple years ago, we were like, oh, we should start kind of making moves to be in someplace a little bit uh, more sedate, a, a place where the environment match the person a little bit more is that your dog in the background it sounds like it might be martine's dog oh martine you have a dog oh uh, yeah yes 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 <laughs> it's, it's a she's a french bulldog she's called Edith Piaf, and she likes to bark a lot you know i'm sorry <laughs> no 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 don't please don't be sorry i'm behind a closed door and you can listen to her anyway <laughs> not a problem i have a dog too and she likes to bark also she likes to pretend she's tough she's a little dog but she thinks she's tough so she has to defend her territory you know <laughs> yes it's the same around here you know if she listens a neighbor dog uh, going down the stairs she goes and barks on the door if the door is open she goes out you know and shake her her tail she doesn't do anything, so <laughs> it's just a, a matter of appearance. <laughs> of course. That's their job. Yeah. <laughs> My two cats uh, will not be barking during this interview. <laughs> they couldn't care okay. less. You know, cats are like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, Will, I had a question. Uh, what's up with the rabbit mask? What's that? Is that like your thing? Is that like uh, your brand? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, I think maybe everyone experiences this where you look at a picture of yourself and you like how you look in real life. You're fine when you look in the mirror, but then you take a picture and you're like, oh, why do I look that way in pictures? Um, <laughs> kind of the same thing where you, when you hear your voice on a yes, on totally a, on, a, on a voicemail or something or, uh, or on a podcast for that matter. Yeah. Um, I'm always like, oh my God, like, am I that nasal? Am I that high pitched? Uh, so yeah, I, uh, I was in a, a pharmacy that uh, had a bunch of discount Halloween masks. I put one on and took a, a picture of myself, and I was like, oh, this is uh, 10 times better than the author photo that I've been using. <laughs> so now I'm just I'm sticking with it. Well, people won't forget it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and if they haven't seen it, now they're going to look it up. People at conventions won't recognize me because I won't be wearing the mask, and they'll be like, who is this guy? <laughs> you should. <laughs> now, both of you worked together before, the first time, that was on The Electric Sublime, published through IDW last year. The two of you must have really hit it off, because here you are again. What was it about your first collaboration that you liked so much that you're together again on Ice Cream Man? And, uh, Will, we'll start with you. When I was thinking about doing The Electric Sublime, which actually had a different name to begin with, it was called Art Brute, and then we changed it for a number of reasons. I was looking at old image books where I liked the artist, but like hadn't really heard of anything new from them for a while and kind of did my research probably emailed three or four artists and i found martin and then emailed him and I, I think i heard back from him on the same day obviously pitched the project in, in the initial email and he sort of understood it right from the start when you're asking someone to not just draw their art but to make a book about classical art and then recreate classical art, both in their own style and then using superimposition to kind of paste pictures of classical art onto the pages. It's not an easy project, and I didn't expect things to kind of be as smooth as they had been in previous kind of more straightforward projects that I'd done. But Martin kind of got it right off the bat. Uh, he understood what the story was about, what we were sort of going for. So it was surprisingly easy to start making it together. In the first kind of opening pages of The Electric Sublime, I wanted the main character to be painting himself floating 
in a kind of abstract background. I, I wanted the storytelling to kind of switch between him painting it, the viewer sort of experiencing what it's like inside the painting. Uh, as you can tell, I'm having trouble even describing it now. When you, <laughs> when, I, when I'm able to successfully communicate that in, in a script to someone and for them to like, you know, even exceed the, the representation and the expectations of the representation, it was awesome. So yeah, we did that for four issues. And then unfortunately, um, IDW didn't green light any more than the four issues. But at that point, Martine and I had finally like really hit a stride. Things were getting more complicated and yet we were sort of understanding each other even more, I felt. Um, so it kind of made sense to keep working together at an imprint where we might have a little bit more of a, a runway to create something longer term. And Martine, what, if anything, are you doing differently in your approach to Ice Cream Man compared to the Electric Sublime? The thing that we have, uh, the characters only appear for one issue. We are changing the cast. It's like a new thing, each issue, with some similarities on the previous one, the world and the Ice Cream Man himself. It's like more dynamic than the Electric Sublime, that it was really dynamic. At least for the moment, I, I feel it that way, you know, like a... Like I'm saying to Will, surprise me, you know, in, in each issue. So it, it's been really fun, at least for now. <laughs> <laughs> what I feel at least uh, like the big change comparing with the Electric Sublime, I usually uh, design characters before starting a new book or a new project. And, uh, you know, there's a, a, this period of time in, in which I, I design places, characters, and we talk about the story and all. And here is with each issue. That is the main difference. So, well, you have all these creepy, eerie horror stories of sorrow, wonder, and redemption, and they're all linked together by an ice cream man. Otherwise, each issue is going to focus on different characters. Now, why an ice cream man? Why did you pick that particular kind of individual for your central character that everything revolves around? It's a little similar to the rabbit mask. <laughs> in that I'm not exactly sure how it happened. I knew I wanted to tell, after kind of coming out of doing my OGN at Image uh, one week in the library, I knew I wanted to do another project where I was telling sort of different stories each chapter. You know, like Martin was saying, that's a really, you're able to access the excitement of an issue one with every issue when you're doing that, because each issue is basically its own issue one in a way, because it is new characters and a new story and a new world and new little corners of this kind of small town that we're living in uh, for a bit. I came up with the stories first. I knew what I wanted to do for the first two issues, and I knew that they were different from each other. And eventually they kind of started to coalesce around a central figure. In this case, it was this kind of childhood person that most of us, or at least a lot of us, have fond memories of and exposure to. I guess I was modeling it a little bit after this wonderful HBO anthology show called High Maintenance. It was a web series first, and then HBO picked it up, where each episode is kind of its own thing. But in each episode, this uh, weed dealer, uh, who's just named The Guy, appears in each one and kind of links all of them together. And so I kind of wanted to do something like that. And my The Guy ended up being a sort of uh, maybe devil, maybe God character dressed up like an ice cream man. I'm not entirely sure how I kind of landed on that, but eventually, you know, when you start to go through the creative process and you're like, what am I going to do? Uh, I just kept coming back to this image of this guy kind of leaning over in his truck and giving someone an ice cream cone. And it seemed 
uh, compelling. Your character is somewhat like Gaiman's Sandman. That's something that you like as well. And and this also has some elements of like the Twilight Zone about it. And tell me about growing up, your parents had that subscription service where they would get VHS tapes. Some people might not know what those are. And we used to watch movies on those. Tell me about how you look forward to that. And were there any favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone that still influence you today when you write horror? Oh, yeah. I could talk about Twilight Zone for a very long time. Yeah, my parents were members of this subscription service where once a month you'd receive a VHS and this really beautiful VHS box. You know, there was a kind of a whole art to the VHS box, too. Each videotape would have, I think, four episodes of the Twilight Zone on it. You know, I don't know how many total there are, but it seemed like it was a, a sort of never-ending subscription service. Obviously, that kind of anthology format which was done way before the Twilight Zone and, and reinterpreted many times in different ways after the Twilight Zone, whether, you know, stuff like The Outer Limits or Tales from the Crypt or more recently stuff like Black Mirror. The Twilight Zone for me is still kind of the best model for that sort of storytelling. They were kind of able to, I think a part of it is a function of time. They were able to access a certain type of magic and anxiety and probably even has to do somewhat with the with film technology back then just the there's a smoothness to the the camera and the black and white in terms of episodes I was just talking about this with my friend the other day I tend to lean toward the quieter episodes of Twilight Zone there's this one called Next Stop Willoughby where this man finds himself in a town where something is sort of strange and wrong about it and I don't want to spoil it for anybody but at the end you find out that he's actually dead and that uh, the town is called Willoughby, but then you find out that he died on this train and Willoughby is just the name of like the funeral home service. And then there's this one called uh, Room for One More Honey, where this woman basically has these fever dreams about a morgue where the attendant at the morgue keeps kind of beckoning to her with a finger saying, oh, there's room for one more, honey. And then she she's getting on a plane. <laughs> she's getting on a packed plane and the stewardess is like, oh, like you're so lucky you got here in time. There's room for one more, honey. And the woman freaks out because she's obviously been having these nightmares and runs off the plane and, <laughs> and back to the gate and then watches through the window as the plane takes off and explodes midair. So that her nightmares ended up serving as a kind of warning. They're not like the typical, like fun Twilight Zone episodes, but I tend to kind of uh, be attracted to those. Even the titles are great. <laughs> yeah. The titles of our first four Ice Cream Man issues are... Very uh, ice creamish, but that'll probably change starting with issue five. Martine, when you're not given specific direction by Will about how the characters should look, how do you go about creating the look of the characters in the stories? We always work with uh, some sort of, of profile of each character, but mostly Will sends me character descriptions, I think, at least the, the ages or where they live or uh, what their lives are. Don't know, from series, from... I, I don't usually draw from real people, you know? It's kind of... Uh, I probably use them for inspiration or sometimes... Uh, working with some writers, I receive real people pictures for inspiration. But mostly I try to, to do them with uh, different uh, looks, you know? Are there certain horror films that have influenced you or that you were very fond of? And are there certain ones that are Argentinian that we may not be aware of here in the States that you think are very good horror films and are very iconic in the culture? 
No. Uh, right now, there is like, like uh, from some years ago, we're starting to get more horror films in here. We had some horror films on the 70s, but they are not too popular, you know, they're like uh, B-movies. Now we're getting a couple of uh, more horror films, but here the popular ones are the ones in the US probably. This year, I don't know, like Annabelle or The Conjuring. Classics is like The Exorcist or... Uh, I don't know, the prophecy, that kind of movies are popular here. In the first issue of Ice Cream Man, uh, a spider plays a very big part in the book, and a lot of people have phobias of spiders. Do each of you have a phobia like that? Spiders or snakes? Something that you just cannot stand being around? Uh, yes, I have a phobia for spiders. Not that big, you know, like uh, if I see a small spider, I don't have any problem with it. I probably don't even look at it. But uh, if the spider is big, I have a, I have problem with it, yeah. And when I was a kid, I lived in the suburbs here in Buenos Aires, in a house, you know, with a garden and all. And th there were some big spiders there. I was really afraid of them. So when I was looking for reference, you know, to, to do the, the spider on the first issue, it was uh, hard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it kind of uh, felt something on my back, you know, like oh, I was all the time like, oh, oh, oh I'm suffering. But, uh, well, it was okay. Luckily, the spider, at least for now, won't be on another issue. So I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Will? You know, it's funny. Martina and I have talked to a few people about the first issue so far. And I'm really surprised to hear that so many people have a arachnophobia. I don't really have a fear of spiders or, or arachnids i don't particularly like bugs but they're not too big of a deal to me but when i decided to kind of write this I, I kind of came up with an illness first and then kind of researched if there was a bug that would kind of cause a particular illness in humans that i was trying to sort of write about and landed on this awful venomous toxic spider so then in doing the research for that, I had to, I came across all these images of what spider bites look like, especially for this particular Brazilian wandering spider. And those were just horrific. Those are awful. The, the, the I won't stuff, eat a banana never again, you know. Yeah, they, they end up... If it comes from eyes. Brazil, I won't eat it. Um, yeah, it's just, that stuff is really gross to me, that kind of body horror of, you know, weird things happening to flesh and ugh. Yeah, I don't have any particular phobias, and spiders don't bother me too much. In fact, today at work, one was descending slowly down its web towards my head, and a coworker noticed it, and I was like, "Oh wow, oh man, that is big!" And people around me like freaking out because it's a spider. But that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is when spiders are fast because there'll be these ones that get into my house and they're super quick and you cannot catch oh, yeah. them and that bothers me because then i'll make oh okay where is it and it's it's faster than me i can't catch it they're too smart <laughs> that bothers me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, that, there's that weird little piece of trivia about the number of spiders per year that people swallow during their sleep oh um, oh thanks for that <laughs> oh will i'm not going to sleep again man come on listen it's just uh it's just a, a scientific fact it's uh oh, they get down into your throat I'm, oh. I'm suffering right now <laughs> Now, the other issues coming up, you go different directions with these. Like issue two is about opioid abusers. 
Three is about a washed-up musician, kind of like Bill Haley, and I did a little bit of research on him. And of course, I know about his music, but I didn't realize that he had a bit of a spiral towards the end with alcohol and other problems. last one that I, I see listed is about what it is to be a dad. Very different from the other two, other three. So how did you go about picking those subjects, opioid abuse to a musician to being a dad? All of those things are kind of issues that are important to me or close to me or ones that I have direct experience with in some way. That's kind of only like the kernel of where the ideas start. I'm really just trying with this series to pursue stuff that's interesting to me. Chris, have you read issue two? Description. No, just the description. I have not actually read number two yet. I basically started issue two with a voice. I knew I wanted to speak in a very particular type of speech pattern. And the one that came out kind of fit that of a heroin addict. And then, you know, kind of in the weird long process of trying to write a 26 page issue of comics, I kind of started to explore the idea of opioids uh, a lot more closely. For me, a lot of stuff actually starts with the voice or the dialogue or the speech, and then kind of the subject matter usually kind of builds itself around that. And, and of course, usually tends to be stuff that I'm interested in. The idea is that if this is going to be an issue of one-shots and each, each issue is kind of its own genre and its own style of storytelling, then me, Martine, and, and Chris, our colorist, then have the freedom to kind of explore any idea. And so it's kind of like a, anything that comes up is fair game. I thought the connection amongst all these things was the horror element because what it is to be a dad, I have two boys, so I can kind of see that being a horror, scary... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, oh, you haven't seen the blood yet. <laughs> Wait yeah. for the blood. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of blood and color, you mentioned your colorist, Chris O'Halloran. Did uh, Jordi Belair connect you with him? Yeah, Martine and I worked with a really amazing colorist, Matt Lopez, on The Electric Sublime. We were all going to originally reteam for Ice Cream Man, and then uh, Matt, who was very good, got very busy because he's doing a lot of work for DC and Marvel and other image books and stuff. So Matt had to unfortunately leave the project. So I don't really know Jordy's, but I figured why not just email the, the most popular colorist in the business uh, and see if she could, if not color herself, then give some guidance, because I knew she ran a studio with her husband, Declan Shelby. She was so great. Same day, she said, I'm, I'm really busy, but I know just the guy that has the style that would be appropriate for this kind of story, and took me up with Chris, and she was 100% right. Chris does really great work over Martine's uh, lines and ink, and kind of gives a, a particular type of life to the pages that I think is necessary for these kind of stories to feel uh, urgent. No, it's a wonderful job. I'm just looking at it now. Beautiful coloring. And you said the book highlights the ugliness and beauty in the same entity with the ice cream man. But I can see that in the book too, as far as the art, you know, we're seeing some horrible things, yet there's also a beauty to it at the same time. My experience has been that that's kind of how life tends to present itself. These things co-present and coexist. You wind up spending a lot of your time around things that are simultaneously beautiful sad or horrific and a lot of the work of being awake and alive is trying to kind of reconcile those two things and, and sort of operate in the world without kind of giving in too much to one direction you've worked on other things one week in the library you mentioned and electric sublime judas the last days how about your training as a writer how did you go about 
training to be a writer, your educational background, what you do now to continue to develop your skills as a writer. I was an English major in college in these kind of formative years, exposed to a ton of reading and writing about what I was reading. And I got really involved in the major. I actually took some time off of school kind of midway and then made a couple of mistakes and then decided to go back and kind of recommit myself to the English major and kind of, uh, I'd always been a reader, but things kind of elevated uh, when I decided to kind of go back and, and get really serious about it. And it just so happens that I was another English major that I happened to live with in a, in a big house. It was a guy named Frank Barbieri. Oh, yeah. uh, we lived together uh, in this awful, awful house uh, with a bunch of other people. We would both, you know, be reading comics and kind of sharing notes about comics and took some creative writing classes together. So we were both like, what if we tried to write comics one day? Frank got to it a little bit quicker than I did. Uh, I work really slowly. But uh, I worked in publishing for many years, so I kind of stayed close to, to the books and the literature and this idea of writing and editing. And then it was about, I guess when I was in my early 20s, I'm 32 now. I decided to, and I still do this now, anytime I read a comic that I really like um, and I think is really well crafted, I take the book and I write the script for it as if I was the writer. So I'll look at, you know, if I read a really good issue of uh, Saga or something, I'll look at the first page and, you know, maybe Brian K. Vaughn chose to do a, a full page splash and I'll write it out. I'll say panel one, full page splash. And you do this enough times and you, you start to see how well-constructed books use the panels and the page transitions and, you know, the kind of spread of splashes and four-panel pages, five-panel pages, nine-panel pages to tell compelling stories you know, using what is uh, largely, a, sometimes at least, a, a mathematical system, you know. So I, I, I basically just do this thing where I, I try to kind of internalize the cadence of what a good comic script is like that's kind of as much as I do in terms of like expanding my craft but other than that I just I try to constantly read and I don't have a ton of time but when I do I, I try to write stuff that keeps me interested. Now Martine how about you your training as an artist your education and what you do to keep your skills sharp? I went to a school here in Buenos Aires I, I took a course there like uh, when I was 15 or 16 uh, I always dreamed about becoming a comic book artist since I was really little. I've been uh, worried about drawing all my life, drawing well, let's say. I, I did this course, it was like two years, then moved away and from the comic books and like a, around 20 I went back to it and saying, okay, I want to publish, I want to do this. I don't know, I started the... Uh, I don't know, looking at a lot of books, trying to learn, trying to get inspired by probably by other mediums, maybe movies or, or books. Try uh, to connect with writers and make projects and uh, one thing linked to another. I went back to studying uh, comic books like uh, when I was 23 because I felt like uh, the storytelling wasn't good enough in me. Uh, and I went with a, a teacher called Oswald. He was from, from here, from Buenos Aires, and he was really great, you know. I, I used to have a good craft, but uh, kind of uh, it was hard to communicate more feelings or sensations on the drawings. Uh, I, I was like too technical. 
And uh, I don't know, like I, I went to uh, study with him uh, like for two years. It was really good for me, you know, like uh, the previous teacher I had in comic books was was more technical, like, like uh, more about the perspective or the anatomy. And, uh, and this guy, Oswald, was really great. And um, what, what else did you ask? Like how you keep your skills sharp now. Like what do you do for your ongoing development? I feel like I'm improving all the time. Uh, since I started uh, publishing, I feel like I, I, I'm improving all the time, you know, like trying to do more detailed backgrounds. You know, all the time I, I, I kind of, I, I'm really critical with myself, you know. Uh, all the books I publish, I take a look at them later. I, I always feel like I, I should change uh, some panels or some backgrounds and I'm trying to improve all the time. So I don't know if taking a look at another artist, but being really... Um, mean with myself <laughs> i <laughs> so uh i don't know i, I feel like uh, the projects i'm working on right now they, they have the more detailed backgrounds i'm i'm working on and probably trying to get better in the anatomy and all it's constant you know i'm taking a look at the pages from the issue three of ice man now that i'm inking and it's going to take years this 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 issue <laughs> but it's, but i'm happy with it you know as long as i'm happy with it it everything's fine <laughs> so no no problem with that <laughs> okay well i have questions for you that i ask all my guests the first one is and uh martin we'll start with you what do you like to do for rest and relaxation? Probably the the thing I like most is cooking. Ah. I like to cook. You know, things um, probably that I have to chop many vegetables or, or things like that. I would uh, drink a cup of wine and, you know, start cooking. It's, it's relaxing for me. I love it. Any particular dish that's a specialty of yours? Something you like to prepare? Oh, yes. I have a... a it's it's a... I don't know, because we call it bondiola here. It's like a part of the pork, and I do it with uh, honey and cardamom. It's really good. I'm going to make one for Christmas. Yes, I always do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ma- Martin, I'll give you my mailing address. <laughs> okay. Okay. It, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> it won't be, I think it will be express enough to get there and be in happy. <laughs> yeah, it, it it probably make a. <laughs> it probably go through Brazil, so maybe it would be a spider inside it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's fine. Fine by me. Take care. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about you for rest and relaxation? What do you like to do? I love to go on long walks, which is, I guess, maybe like a cliched answer. Um, they don't have to be on the beach; they could be anywhere. Um, yeah, there's something about being outside and just moving. That always kind of calms me down and kind of turns off that uh, internal uh, hyperactive motor. I've been doing a lot of a lot of meditating lately. They're mostly guided meditations, you know. So it's kind of this voice in your headphones that's helping you go through these steps to sort of calm down and try to kind of separate from the kind of constant stream of thoughts that I think all of us tend to experience. I play guitar. Uh, I always have. Those are kind of the, the ways in which I tend to decompress. And of course, read. I, I read. I try to read about a book a week. It usually keeps me pretty busy, but uh, it's uh, a busy that I, that I like. Well, since you like to read, if you were stuck on a deserted island and you only had one book with you, what would that book be? Oh, man. I didn't know we were going to get to the, the desert island 
questionnaire <laughs> part of the podcast. <laughs> um, it has to be somewhat of a tie between uh, Dennis Johnson's Jesus's Son, his novella Train Dreams, and maybe George Saunders' Civil War Land and Bad Decline. Those are more modern books that I take with me. And then also maybe uh, Ernest Hemingway's short stories uh, in our time, which are just amazing and so compact and wonderful. Martin, how about you? Uh, do you have an island book that you would want to have with you? I don't know. Can it be a comic book? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, the, the run, uh, Alan Moore's run of something. Okay. All right. That's yeah, I have the the trade paperbacks uh, from one to six, and I I usually read read them uh, like once a year, and uh, they're really inspiring for me. Now, Martin, do you have a beverage of choice when you're resting and relaxing? You did mention wine when you're cooking. Is there a particular wine? Yeah, red, red wine. If I can get a good Pinot Noir, it's the best one for me. Ah, excellent. Yes, very good. Yeah. And then uh, I, I do not drink uh, like whiskey or uh, I usually don't drink whiskey or rum or, um, or, or anything like that. Probably a Campari. I think it's from Brazil too. I don't know if it's from Brazil or Italy, but uh, <laughs> probably a Campari with orange juice or something like that. But mostly wine. Some beer sometimes too, but uh, mostly wine. And Will, how about you? I'm a whiskey drinker, so I, I love a good rye. Probably Sazerac is my favorite rye. I love dark beers and Pilsners. Don't really like IPAs or wheat beers. But I also really like, uh, I try not to have too much of this stuff because it's awful for you, but I'm a, a sucker for just like Coca-Cola. It's kind of, Coca-Cola kind of holds the same place in my heart as ice cream does. It's, you know, something from your childhood that there was an innocence to it in your childhood. It would just be this refreshment and this treat. And then when you're an adult, you know, things start to change and you're like, oh, I shouldn't be having this. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, Not as resilient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah now, now when I drink a whole bottle of Coke, I feel awful for like a full day. Whereas when I was a kid, I'd be like, oh, like, can I have a second? So I, I definitely love to every now and then treat myself a soda or some like a sweet non-alcoholic beverage. And everyone should check out the sweet treat that will be Ice Cream Man coming up being published by Image Comics, and that is coming out on January 17th. Soon, coming right around the corner. So, and uh, Martin, you said you're on issue three now you're working on? Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. I'm inking issue three. All right. You guys are on a roll now. You're all set. Is this ongoing, man? I mean, you had mentioned issue five, I think. So you're planning to go as long as you can with these individual stories? Yeah, it's ongoing insofar as any you know kind of book on images ongoing where yeah. it, it'll kind of go until it can't support itself anymore but we're hoping that you know response warrants at least uh i would love to get to three trades 12 issues you know full three volume set of one shots and stuff so for now it's an ongoing i wish you both the best of luck with the book i read the first issue looks great it is creepy and there's more than one horror in there so folks check it out and thank you so much for being on Creator Talks. Thanks to you, Chris. Thank you again, W. Maxwell Prince and Martine Barrazzo. Now, I mentioned during the last podcast that I have some contests coming up this year. And, well, here's how that all started. I have a decent-sized collection of comics that I've accumulated over the years, and I keep them fairly organized, alphabetized, numerized, in boxes. 
But even though I keep a list of the books that I need to fill in the gaps in my collection, every once in a while I wind up buying a duplicate, a book that I already have. No, I don't make a mistake like buying Fantastic Four number one twice or Amazing Fantasy number 15 twice. I don't even have it once. It's a little out of my price range, you understand. But on occasion, I'll buy a Silver Age or a Bronze Age or a Copper Age book that I already have. Selling it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because I won't get that much from a local comic shop. And putting it up on eBay or something like that, I'd have to grade it, package it, ship it. And questions could arise about the condition of the book, the grading of the book. And I'm by no means an expert grader. I still go by fair, good, fine, very fine, near mint. Now, the books aren't worth that much. A few dollars, maybe $10, maybe $20. But the point is I want to use them as prizes for people that would appreciate reading them. I would give one of the books away as a prize, along with some tchotchkes from Creator Talks, such as stickers or something like that. So I'm still noodling the whole contest idea around. And listen to this space in future episodes of Creator Talks following the interview for more details about the comic book giveaway contest. And just a reminder, every Saturday and Sunday, I'll be posting from my collection the Saturday Silver Age book in the spotlight, and on Sundays, the Bronze Age comic book in the spotlight. Thank you for joining me for Creator Talks this week. The show is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and also on Amazon Echo and Dot devices. Just say, Alexa, play podcast Creator Talks to hear the latest episode. In addition, you can listen to the show and follow it through Podbean. Your feedback is greatly appreciated, so please rate and review on iTunes if you like the show or an episode that you heard. Your ratings and reviews go a long way to helping the show, and I can't thank you enough for taking a bit of time to do that. For your convenience, in the show notes of each podcast, I have a link to my iTunes page where you can rate and review the show and see the entire list of shows available. If you haven't heard them all, take a look through. There are living legends and -and up-and-coming comic creators. Tell family and friends who like comics and comic book creators about the show. And to subscribe. The content is free. Just as valued are your comments and feedback. You can reach me through Facebook and Twitter at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. You can also reach out to me by email. You can find that at my website, creatortalks.com. At the website, you will also find blog posts, reviews of books that I have read that you might want to read too, my catalog of podcasts, and videos and other written articles on the website, creatortalks.com. A hearty thank you to all my guests. It is an honor and a privilege for you to make time to be on the show and talk to me about your work. It is your knowledge and insight into the creative process that makes the show so unique. My thanks also goes out to my family who makes this show possible, especially my executive co-producer, Mrs. Calloway. I'll be back each and every Thursday with a new interview. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.